it's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. And I want to tell you something coming up later in today's podcast, why being a renter instead of a homeowner may be the smart move for 21 and maybe into 22. But right now, we get to talk about me throwing lemons your way. When I give what you feel is bad guidance, bad advice, bad information, and it's very important to me that you trust that what you're hearing from me is information you can put to work in your wallet each and every day. When I fail in that, I need to know. I need you to let me know. And that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. And then once a week, Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you right here on the podcast. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, this one was, I mean, the most popular one in the last couple of weeks. Leaving your car unlocked is one of the worst takes ever. You mentioned checking the back floorboard before entering your vehicle, but this is preposterous. Most cars have tinted windows these days. And as you've mentioned, most consumers have shifted to SUVs and crossovers. Unless you have x-ray vision, you risk putting yourself in a dangerous situation. The cost of a new window is worth the sense of certainty that comes with a broken one. If a criminal is lurking nearby, the broken window serves as a warning before approaching a dangerous situation. It can also alert good Samaritans to something amiss. Finally, it's the same reason that food comes in sealed containers. It lets you know if something has been tampered with. A criminal could enter a vehicle and find nothing of value, but potentially end up with personal information like an address. In the case of a stalker, this broken window is the only reason someone might think to make their home secure. This piece of advice does not only stink, it's a liability. Patrick. Patrick, thank you. I have had people burning my ears up about this one. And obviously, I was looking at this without full perspective. I was so focused on the problem with vehicle break-ins that I didn't focus on the spinoff effect of particularly physical danger to you. And so I was wrong. I was looking at something with too narrow a perspective, and it led me to the wrong conclusion. And so I stand corrected. And I appreciate all the people who, with great passion, spoke very vehemently that a busted window is a much better choice than somebody lurking inside your vehicle and the point of the of the glass being smoked that you can't really see in anymore. Very true. Both you and I are a pair of dirty socks. You were talking about how wonderful Texans' dysregulation of electricity is, and I stink for taking it hook, line, and sinker. I take so much of your word like the gospel and just like there is a place for unions and there's probably even a good argument for lobbyists, there's also a need for regulation. I think you failed to see both sides and I failed to question you. Sincerely, your left-handed, fellow travel-loving, born cheap, birthday twin. P.S. You're still my hero, Matt. 
Matt, thank you. And I do have a lot of egg on my face for the last 15 years raving about Texas's system for energy because there are people that are dead because of shortcomings and how Texas deregulated their power system. And the truth is, Texas implemented a true libertarian dream for power. And it doesn't mean the failures that Texas just had doesn't mean that opening up the market to complete competition like Texas had done is the wrong thing. What was wrong is not putting any checks in the system that required that the grid be up to stress. And that stress means there are dead people and untold billions of economic harm that Texas will face and Texans collectively will face for at least a couple of years. So it's not that the deregulation was wrong. It's that there was no requirement built in that required that the system be tough enough to handle unexpected, either extremely hot or extremely cold temperatures. And so that was a fail of the deregulation and uh, something that if you read the history of what went on with deregulation, the legislature in Texas was warned 12 years ago of this problem and session after session chose to do nothing about it. You said existing homes don't appreciate, only property does. Would you reconsider that position based on increasing costs to build a new similar home, like code changes, impact fees, lumber prices, etc.? Michael. Michael, thank you. And when I say that stark thing about homes depreciate, it's the land they sit on that appreciates, I'm not looking at it from the raw dollar standpoint that you raised, very, very valid point that because of the additional costs faced in new construction, that that provides a floor to the value of a used home. What I'm talking about is that when I talk about depreciation on a home, I'm talking about all the maintenance that's required over time. Uh, We had to recently replace a heating and air conditioning system at our home just because it got old. And so that's a cost right out of my pocket. And that is a direct impact on the true value of the home to me. All the repairs, maintenance, things we have to do over a year, over the years, they are a form of depreciation. But that's why what you said is why I always encourage people to buy used homes instead of new, because you get so much more for your dollar buying a used home than a new one. But yes, the problems in acquiring buildable lots right now, the cost of materials, the cost of labor, the cost of government fees have helped protect the value of used homes in the marketplace. Clark, when you talk about jobs out of college and the reasons to have higher education above just a high school degree to obtain a better salary, please continue to provide equal attention to one very important option that you have mentioned before, the military. 
We've all heard examples of men and women entering the military to obtain a trade or skill and use this as a great resource for their career. If it wasn't for the Air Force, I would not be as successful in my career as I am now. I'm sorry, Clark, but I must disagree. It's not always about the almighty college degree. Yes, options are reduced now because corporations have set their expectations to require a bachelor's degree, but please continue to give the military and trade schools equal attention in this arena, Gary. Well, Gary, thank you so much for your service to our nation. And I have a very strong feeling that we as a country, in order to get back to common purpose, need to have a mandatory two-year enrollment in public service for people at age 18 or 19 or somewhere in that age range where people serve either in the U.S. military for a hitch or serve in some kind of public service capacity like VISTA or the Peace Corps or something like that, AmeriCorps, that we need to rediscover common purpose in the United States. That's not what you were posting about, but also you are completely correct that someone serving in the military which is a completely voluntary thing to do today, not only protects our nation, but it also provides an opportunity for you to learn skills that you can use post-military life to earn a decent living. Someone asked about getting a real estate appraiser, and you suggested they contact a realtor for a referral. As a 20-plus year real estate appraiser, I have mixed feelings about that advice. In a lot of cases, the relationship between appraisers and realtors is adversarial. They like us when the appraisal comes in at or above the sales price and are very unhappy with us when it does not. So I would say the referral you get from a realtor might depend on recent sales and how things went. Personally, I would rather have a homeowner call and interview me to see if I'm the right fit for their needs. Also, all appraisers are expected to uphold national standards and be objective, independent, and impartial. I would also recommend the homeowner contact their state appraisal board to see if there have been any disciplinary actions taken against the appraiser that they are considering. Maybe after interviewing a few appraisers and checking with the state appraisal board, then asking a local realtor their opinion, that might be an option. Steve. Steve, thank you, and I appreciate your post. You know, one thing also going on in appraisals that I have not talked about is that more and more lenders are not hiring human appraisers anymore. They're using computer software to determine what an appraisal amount would be. And that has its own set of problems, particularly if a home is a one-of-a-kind, not part of a large development. A caller asked about their high electricity bill recently. Working in the utility industry, I can tell you that bills can be incorrect all the time, and it has happened to me. When an unexpected large bill is received, someone should always check their meter and make sure the end kilowatts per hour reading is not much higher than what their meter currently reads. When utilities have issues using using their monitoring or sending meter maids out, they estimate the bills, which are rarely accurate. This will be rectified later on, but if you don't catch it right away and pay, you're effectively lending money to your utility at zero interest. Call your utility company if the meter reading is far off, and they'll oftentimes adjust your bill to the amount with estimated usage rather than the actual meter read. Chris. Chris, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. You know, the way meters are red in the country varies a lot from one utility to another. And having humans read meters or 
using estimates or having electronics that read meters. All these different systems lead to a variety of issues that can come up. And your suggestion that people go out and read their meter if they get an unusually weird bill, high bill, brilliant. And then one more related to this. Of course, Clark doesn't stink, but in discussing the kilowatt, he missed the opportunity to mention that many public libraries will offer free rental of the kilowatt in their tool lending programs. Alex. Alex, I mean, this is the third time recently that someone has pointed out the things that you can do at a public library that I completely ignored, forgot about, whatever. And so I think the answer to every question when it comes to buying something, I'm going to say, if you check to see if you can lend that from your library first, <laughs> I really need to put that in my memory bank and remember the possibilities that your tax dollars provide for you to be able to temporarily use something for free as a lend from your library instead of having to pay for it. I want to tell you, I appreciate all your posts on Clark Stinks. You cannot even begin to imagine how much you help me do a better job at what I do and help me see the world from perspectives that I may have missed. There are some major disruptions in the housing and rental markets going on here in 21 that affect decisions that you might want to make. Even if you've been saving up money to put as a down payment on a house, it's been the goal you've been trying to do, there are certain economic factors right now that make possibly renting a better decision. And I love for people to own their own home. But right now, we've got several things all happening simultaneously that affect your wallet. First, the number of homes that are listed for sale as we move into the peak spring buying season for homes is at record low levels. So you have too many buyers chasing too few homes for sale. And that's why if you've been tuning into this, what's been going on in the housing market, you may have seen the stats that the prices of homes versus where they were a year ago is way, 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 way up. And it's because the demand just totally outstretches supply. Now, there are three factors why housing is in a crunch right now. Number one, specific to corona, a lot of people have not felt safe putting their house on the market, having strangers waltz through it, for open houses or for showings. And so it's temporarily greatly reduced the number of homes that as a natural cycle would go up for sale. The second factor goes all the way back almost 15 years now. When the housing bust started, the banking scandals and the, the follow-on housing bust, a massive number of builders in the United States folded. And we have never had the number of new homes being built following the housing bust that we had before. So you still have natural population growth generally in the United States, household formation, and there's a natural cycle where people in much of the country would buy homes. So the number of new homes being constructed 
has been way below normal year after year after year for almost the last 15 years. And that's created a supply shortage. That also tends to push prices up. Labor costs for home construction have gone up. And of late, material costs. Lumber for home construction is at all-time record highs. So housing affordability, buying a new home, has gotten to be brutal. Then you have another factor. Yeah, I already gave enough reasons why, but there's one more too. Wait, there's more. The next one is interest rates that so many people were able to refi into over the last couple of years while the Federal Reserve has been artificially holding down interest rates have people in what something referred to as housing lock. If somebody sells their home, interest rates have moved up from their recent ultra lows. Somebody would be trading in a lock-in they have with their existing home, an existing loan, that's so, so dirt cheap for higher cost money, selling their home, moving somewhere else. So all these factors all at once in combination have led to these much higher home prices. The irony is, I saw a thing from Moody's, because, I mean, who else reads all this dull stuff, showing the gap between the effective apartment rents and the effective cost of owning a home. And so the home thing is climbing like a steep mountain, and apartment rents in most places in the country that are big enough to be measured have actually been declining. And not every sub-market in every metro area has been declining in rents, but the overall effect has been rents are what they like to call in the lingo of the trade, soft. So several things are going to happen. One, if you do follow my advice and you consider renting for a while instead of buying, you're going to be able to build up more money, ultimately towards down payment or towards retirement or whatever it is you would do with the surplus money you'd have between the cost of renting a place versus the cost of owning. Uh, the next factor is that as we get enough shots in people's arms and people who've been unwilling to put their houses on the market, go ahead and put their houses on the market because you have a natural cycle of people who would be doing that just based on aging. But those people are aging in place instead of selling and moving somewhere else. The inventory will increase, and over time, as the profitability of building continues to be so high, you'll have more people go into the new housing market. And plus, I believe, as I shared recently on our podcast, I believe that new methods of construction are going to help lower the cost of building new homes where we move away from the outdated, sticks up on building site method of construction that is so inefficient and costs so much and causes problems that we will learn to innovate as people come into the housing market, the new housing construction market, who know better how to build more affordable houses that also are better houses to own, better constructed, and better for energy consumption. Krista, what question do you have for me now? Terry in Arizona wants to know, is it ever okay to take a loan against your 401k? We have a little over $1 million in the account. We would be borrowing $50,000 and repaying it is not a problem. 
the loan would probably be for eight years. I'm thinking this would cost us the least because you're paying yourself back. But I think I remember hearing this is a bad idea. So the question is, what's the 50 grand for? Any information on that? No. Okay. The loan from the 401k, depending on the provider, will be somewhere typically 4 or 6%, sometimes a little more interest rate. And you're thinking, well, I'm paying myself back. And it could be, depending on your situation, your circumstance, and the fact that it's 5% of what you build up in a 401k, which is fantastic, by the way, that you have a million bucks plus in the 401k. Uh, this is not a major decision in your part because you've saved so much money in that 401k. But over time, a 401k will typically grow greater than what the interest rate you're saving between the borrowing on it and how you could typically borrow money elsewhere for another purpose. Since I don't know the purpose, I would say in your situation, this is a low risk thing to borrow from the 401k. But before you do it, consider what other loan outlets are available and what interest rate you would pay to borrow money another way to meet the need you're trying to meet with this borrowed money. And if the interest rates are similar, then I'd rather you borrow elsewhere and leave your 401k alone to let time, let it grow and let that 50 grand you would have borrowed have greater growth for you. Now, we are in a time where the stock market is likely overvalued and we are going to have a correction. We may even have a bear market. And in which case, taking that $50,000 loan could actually in the short term make you look brilliant versus what could be a temporary decline in your 401k. But you can't make those kind of decisions timing the market. So again, it goes back to the core principle. Where do you sit in terms of the alternatives to meet that $50,000 borrow need? Tim in Wisconsin wants to know, with marijuana seemingly on a lot of states' ballots with every election, it definitely feels like it will be completely legal in North America in no time. What is the best way to invest in marijuana stocks, and do you think it will be a good return on my money? Marijuana investing, ironically enough, is a very high-risk venture. There are, uh, as marijuana becomes legal in states, there are any of a number of enterprises that establish legality that may have been there before, but become legal enterprises or start up. There's going to be a huge shakeout because one of the ironies about marijuana being fully legalized is it will become a less profitable crop as a legal crop than it was as an illegal crop with the risks involved in it. So buying marijuana stocks is a riskier part of any portfolio. And it is almost, it's not a gamble like going to Vegas, but it is a higher risk, more narrow form of investing. And it's something that I would say you put play money in, not serious money, because we don't know as the shakeout happens over the next decade, who the winners are going to be 
and who's going to be left bankrupt by the wayside. Kaylee in Ohio says, my husband and I have not yet had kids, so our dogs are like children. We have an older Great Dane on multiple medications, the cat that is rather overweight but still self-sufficient, and my energetic Australian shepherd with ongoing stomach issues. The testing to figure out what is wrong with my Aussie alone has already cost me well over $450 in less than a year. Should I get pet insurance? This is a great question because our mentality and connection to pets is different than it used to be in our society, that people did not do very expensive testing and procedures and operations to pets even uh, 30 years ago in the United States. So now pet medicine can rival human medicine and costs as uh, animal ages. And for so many Americans, we now believe that we want to do everything we can to extend life, not just of humans, but also of our pets. So this makes pet insurance a much more present decision that people have to make. Talk to your vet to see their experience with various pet insurances, because based on breed or age of a pet, you may find that you think you bought coverage, that the breed is excluded or the age of the pet excludes the coverage. Also, this would be a real opportunity for you to read consumer reports at the library or to uh, buy access to consumer reports to read what they've had to say about how you pick a pet insurance policy. And also Lemonade which is a company I've talked about that's like almost like a co-op for various types of insurance, now offers pet insurance. Okay, Clark. And then Gail in North Carolina says, I'm thinking about getting another SUV from the years 2017 to 2019. I have an 06 Honda CRV bought new. I've really enjoyed this vehicle, but there are a couple of things I would like. One would be an SUV that is a crossover. Hopefully it would give a better ride and I would really like to have all the safety features they now have. I do not want to spend over twenty-five dollars to $30,000 at the most. I hope it's out there. So you actually may be able to buy a 21 crossover in your price range that you're looking at. You keep a vehicle so long and I imagine you've loved the CRV. There's now lots of competition for the CRV. Um, in addition to the RAV4, those two have dominated things. The vehicle that seems to be a real crowd pleaser and in reliability reports repeatedly has been at the top, the Mazda CX-5. And, but there's a absolute huge number of crossovers of various sizes, and you can certainly buy one easily in that price range. 2017 to 2019 model year, but there have been so many improvements in the last couple of years that in your case, because of your cycle of ownership, it actually isn't a bad idea for you to buy a new one in that price range of twenty five to 30000 I mentioned Consumer Reports a minute ago for pet insurance. Consumer Reports is at its best in its write-ups and reviews of vehicles for reliability and quality and uh, customer satisfaction and all that. And it would be wonderful for you to look at what they say about the huge number 
of crossovers that are available. And I want to thank you for being part of the Team Clark community. Remember, we are available to you around the clock at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And I look forward to serving you in whatever way works best for you. Our websites, our newsletters, our podcasts, if you uh, see me on TV, or also we offer one-on-one advice for you that's available for free from a member of Team Clark, something we've been doing for more than 28 years as we are here to serve you and empower you with knowledge so you can take control of your life and your wallet.